Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we are excited to talk about applying for live events with Amy Rivers and Desiree Brown. Amy Rivers is an award-winning self-published author and the director of Northern Colorado Writers. She is the Indie Author Project's 2021 Indie Author of the Year. In addition to the novel she publishes under her imprint, Compathy Press, She's been published in several anthologies, including Chicken Soup for the Soul, Inspiration for Nurses, and was a regular contributor to Novelty Bride Magazine and ESME.com. She was raised in New Mexico and now lives in Colorado with her husband and children. Desiree Brown is a poet and writer. She received her BA from University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and her MFA from New York University. She has worked with poets Aishan Hutchinson, Catherine Barnett, Matthew Rohr, Nick Laird, and more. Her work has appeared in Hedge Apple Magazine, Unlikely Stories, The Woven Tale Press, Sanskrit, and The Seen and Heard Journal. Today she teaches college courses in English and Creative Writing, manages the Young Eager Writers Association and Conference, and practices engaging with the world through a poetic lens. Welcome, both of you. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you. I'm I was thrilled to hear that you wanted me to be on the podcast and talk and I talk so much anyway, so you <laughs> have a platform. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a really valuable topic for our audience just to hear your perspectives both as as writers but then also on the side of it that you know, you're managing large events like these and so that gives a lot of insight. So to get started, I would love it if you both could just give us an overview of the events you host and your experience in the past and how you began, you know, on this journey of becoming involved with uh, these large scale author events and the planning process. Yeah. Um, So I host the Young Eager Writers Conference because I have the Young Eager Writers Association, so <laughs> seemed appropriate. And I started because I was a young writer myself, and I remember being in college, and I was going to writing conferences that were so beneficial and amazing and wonderful, but I was the youngest by 30 years. And so I felt really out of place, really alone. And I remember putting out this survey to my classmates and asking, are other people doing this? Where are you guys? And they were saying things like, well, I didn't know where to find this. I don't know where to publish my work. I don't feel like I'm ready. So I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a conference for young writers? And then I was like, wait, I could just do that. (laughs) So I decided to do that. And that's kind of how I got involved and I got started. So now this April, I am going to host the fourth Young Eager Writers Conference. We kept going even through the pandemic. I'm very happy about that. We are going to be remote again this year, just for safety reasons. And I could not have asked for a better opportunity, a better team. I just, I feel, I feel so happy, so grateful that I decided 
back in college that this was what I wanted to do. I run the Northern Colorado Writers. And when I first moved to Colorado, I didn't think I was going to be trying to write full time. I've always loved to do creative writing, but most of the writing that I had done previously is academic or business related. And um, I have a real love for social justice. And so I knew I wanted to do something that had to do with that. So I started out writing essays and articles and realized pretty quickly that I was going to need to actually have some kind of community because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't go to school for writing. All of my schooling is in other areas. And so um, I found Northern Colorado Writers. It's about, it was located in a town that's about an hour from where I live. It's one of three fairly big organizations in Colorado, but certainly the least well-known. And it was seemed quiet and kind of what I needed in terms of, you know, just a nice, happy, intimate place to get started in this. And so I went to my first conference and at my first conference, I met my first major writing group, um, all the partners from that. I found out I was being published for the first time. So I had submitted a personal essay that I wrote to a chicken soup book. It just so happened that the editor of said chicken soup book was the keynote that year. And so she looked at my name pat and badge and was like, wait a minute, I know you. And that's how I found out that I was going to be published, which was like a heart attack in a box. Um, pretty much I think my blood pressure literally like hit the roof. And I was like, oh my God, does this happen? <laughs> but, um, it really, that organization and especially that conference really became sort of the center of my writing life. And I went to other conferences around the country and especially ones that are related to the genre that I write in. But I really love the feel of the Northern Colorado Writers Conference. It's nice and intimate. That's the word I keep coming back to because I feel like it's one of the only places where I've ever gone where I've gotten to really talk to everybody from the keynotes to agents, all of those people are there. They're able, um, you know, to join into social and networking functions, they're accessible. And so a couple of years ago when the current, the previous director of NCW was getting ready to move on, she moved to New York. Um, I had this sort of image in my mind because I'm a good catastrophizer that like the whole organization was just going to completely implode and die. And I was going to be left with no home for my writing heart. And so I took over. And so here we are two years later, uh, I took over right before the pandemic became a crazy thing. So we had all these great big projects. And then the first conference I was supposed to run, I had to cancel because of the pandemic. <laughs> and then last year we did a fully remote one. So this year, we are taking our entire organization hybrid um, so that everything moving forward is going to be, you know, on some level in person and online, but fully interactive. This is the first conference that I will actually be running where there's an in-person component where I'm actually in charge because that is what the last few years has been like. So that's how I got here. <laughs> Thank you both for sharing that. I feel like that's really insightful just to hear about the different journeys and starting, but then also taking over something that's kind of already established, but having to basically restart it and figure out what that looks like. And Carrie, I would love to just maybe for you to give an overview before we jump into this conversation. Carrie's a librarian. And so I want to get kind of that angle too for library events. Like what does, what is your role in uh, planning events? So usually I talk about my writing on these things. So it's going to be a little bit different. So my role is that I'm the 
adult public services manager. So I have like 14 people who report to me. And one of those people is the programming manager for adults. So anything we do goes through her. We have something called a program proposal form. And then she receives that. Sometimes she and I talk about it. You know, would this be a good fit for our library? And I know we're going to talk about how both of you select the authors for your events. Of course, ours are on a much smaller scale. I have hosted probably about four or five writing conferences at my library, but we only serve about 25,000 people. So those I usually limit to about 50. I don't have a meeting room that's big enough for more than that. So I have to say that in our case, we need people who are going to draw. A lot of times people just submit a proposal and they're like, I want to do a book signing, but we have no reason why anybody would want to come and see this person speak. They need to have a hook different from just their book. It has to be like, this is why I'm a an important or a influential speaker. This is why people would want to come to our program. So we have a really poor history of attendance when it comes to just straight up signing. So we try to do things that are more interesting for our patrons. So what does that look like for either of you when you're first putting, you know, your conference together? How do you know who's going to be involved and what type of programming you're going to offer? Do you have some authors kind of already committed that you kind of plan around and then find more? Um, Can either of you speak to that? Yeah, it's a little bit of a it's a hodgepodge of all of those. I think I I have a very specific audience that I have to entertain and encourage and educate. And I need <laughs> role models and authors and speakers who can fulfill this audience's needs. I need speakers who can be encouraging. Um Thankfully, I haven't had any speakers that I like they're on stage and I'm just like, no, no, don't say that. You know, I've been very lucky. Um, but definitely speakers who know how to talk to this younger audience, which are, you know, anywhere between kids as young as 13 to students as old as 25. It's a hard audience to try to include them all and speak to them on their level, meaning actually I think a lot of people speak to young authors and teens as if they are children. And let me tell you, they don't like to be spoken to that way. They want to be taken seriously because they are authors and they're doing things like writing these very serious books or or some of them have already published. and. They are right now looking for, they want their questions to be answered. They want to not just kind of sit and listen to somebody drone on. They want someone who's going to be able to engage with them and answer their questions. So I was very lucky the first year to have this amazing array of guest speakers. They were old professors of mine, not that they were old, but they were my previous professors. And I had contacted 
this kid named Michael Evans, and he was an author, and he'd written all of these books, and he was 15 at the time. Uh, he was from Charleston, North Carolina, and I thought this kid would be great. What a great role model. And then um, Brandon Rikes was local to Charlotte, and I reached out to him and said, would you be willing to do this? And he said, yes. And then from then on, you know, I, I continued to reach out to new people who I thought, well, this would be really great. I reached out to Mason Deaver. They're also local to Charlotte. And, you know, I, I realized we had a lot of teens that were part of the LGBT community. And I thought we, we need someone to represent this group. This is super important for me. Um, this year, we're going to have a Black authors panel. That's something really important for me for representation. So I think that over time, I just continued to collect more and more guest speakers and now have a team where I have people on my team who want to speak at the conference and even people who reach out to me who are interested and have something valuable to offer, you know, my following. So it's, it's a lot, it's, it is a hodgepodge definitely, but it's been working so far. I feel like Um, any kind of community building is kind of like that. And at its core, that's what both of you are doing is just building this community and figuring out what parts work and what part people are responding to. And so that's, that's really neat. And hopefully each time you do it, then you have kind of a clearer vision of what you want for next time. So thanks for sharing, Desiree. That's great. And what, how about you, Amy? How has that looked? I'm sure it's a little different coming into, you know, a conference that already was established, but then having to change it up because of the pandemic. It's, it's been really strange. It's a complete hodgepodge for us too. Um, partially based on the way that things were done historically in our organization. You know, I came in and sort of didn't want to rock the boat too much because we had a very well-established um, you know, small but well-established group of writers who would join us and a lot of industry professionals in the area who were used to coming. And so um, it was just an interesting thing trying to kind of figure out how to make that new and different. And I had a lot of ideas about how I wanted to do our, just have our organization do different things and head in a different direction. And of course, you know, right about the time that the pandemic was really picking up was also the time when race relations and other, you know, social issues in our country were really coming to the forefront. And so being mindful of that and trying to be um, proactive it has been a really big part of how we're moving forward because I think that it's very easy Um, especially for an organization like ours, we're kind of up in the northern end of Colorado where there's not as much diversity. And so uh, I think that having to be active in the way that we are seeking out speakers and reaching out to attendees and really building diversity into our organization, it really has to be an active thing for us. And so last year, you know, I was really excited because we brought in Jane Allen as our keynote speaker. Um, she had a crazy, amazing story about going from indie to traditional published. And so she was just fascinating. And this year, we're really excited to have Leah Johnson in. So we're really trying to headline with new voices who maybe were not the usual people that we had at past conferences. But we also have a really 
different problem or something <laughs> characteristic from what Desiree is dealing with and that we do not have a specific audience. Our mission for our whole organization is like to support all writers at all stages and all backgrounds in all genres. And it's really interesting trying to figure out how to mesh that with putting on any kind of cohesive event. And so we have a lot of diversity in the types of speakers that we have. You know, sometimes it's a nonfiction author. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have fiction authors, some are genre, some are literary. This year, you know, our keynote is a uh, writes for uh, LGBTQ young adults uh, books, which is amazing. So it's like, you know, we're trying really hard to kind of cater to this sort of impossibly large mission statement and still do a good quality job of it so that everybody leaves having learned something or taken something that they can really go back and use in their writing life. That sounds, I'm, I was just looking at your website. It looks so cool. And I noticed that you were also doing hybrid. So that is something we have been struggling with at my library. So I was wondering if there was anything you could speak to. Is it, is it driving you mad at this point? <laughs> a little. Um, I mean, it's, it's a hard transition, I think, to make because we all sort of had to do that. Everybody's on Zoom for everything. You know, this, we've had to adapt to these technology pieces that we weren't necessarily, I don't think that anybody was really all that ready to have to fully embrace <laughs> into our organizations. Um, one thing that makes us a little bit different than other writing organizations is we are not a non-for-profit. We were not created as a nonprofit, and we have had moments in our history where the director at that time has thought about converting over to a nonprofit, but it hasn't happened. And one of the things that was really useful for us actually during the pandemic was that for-profit status because we move fast. We were able to shift direction. We were able to you know, invest funds in a way that was very helpful for us to kind of move smoothly into this new direction. So part of what's happening with our hybrid setup right now is we invested in a lot of new technology so that we aren't just streaming, but are actually making our classes fully interactive where the person who's instructing at the front of the class is able to see both the people in person in attendance and the people up on the screen who are attending via Zoom and that those people are able to interact. And as you might guess, that means like twice as much staff for every room <laughs> because you have to have people dealing with both audiences. Um, and it meant a lot of reorganization for what the conference was actually going to look like, how many sessions we could reasonably incorporate into our time slots and how that was actually going to be pulled off. So it's a work in progress. And this is year number one. Yeah, I was looking at the technology, the neat neat bar thing like so do you have a limit on how many people can be in a session no um physically in person you know we know that we're going to have a smaller audience and so for the virtual part of things i think we can have up to 500 oh it's wow obviously that would be harder for the person who's in the room to be able to manage all of that but we will have one person as a room monitor who is dedicated to the tech side of things and is able to take questions and really keep that moving. Um, but no, we could have a lot of participants virtually. And what we're really hoping is that um, we will have at least a good number of those so that they can start seeing how it works. And as an organization, we're starting to try that technology out in some of our ongoing meetings and events and things just to kind of get a feel for it and train ourselves up in it. But this is going to be kind of a 
groundbreaking year for us in terms of how things move forward. Yeah, it's really neat. Looks awesome. Thank you. I'm curious, Desiree, just kind of on that note, I know yours isn't hybrid uh, right now, which sounds like there are a lot of moving parts. Have you, what kind of tools are you using to do your, um, your vir- fully virtual conference the last couple of years? Yeah, you know, this year we talked about doing hybrid and then, you know, Omicron was getting bad. And then we were like, you know what, maybe not. Um, but then obviously now things are a little bit different. But yeah, so we did, we really lucked out in 2020. Because for whatever reason, I decided to experiment with putting the conference in February instead of in March or April. So we had our conference, I think, mid-early February. And then that's when things got crazy afterward. So we've only been doing, this will be our second conference that we've done strictly remotely. But we also started after that conference doing all of our other events, our workshops, everything has been through Zoom, our conference pretty much, or I mean, or or our organization is strictly remote. Everyone who works for me, I mean, everyone on my team is across the US somewhere or in a different country. And they all work for me. We have different time zones we have to accommodate for. So thankfully because of all that I have really I'm I'm so used to working virtual now um the one thing is I I tell my staff that I forget to click record every time I forget so for the ones we record I'm like just make sure I do that but other than that it's it actually I mean it has been really great because for for me, it's it's really difficult to get this age group to come to a physical in-person conference. It's it's just tricky. And when we have an audience that is, you know, across the world, I have people from all over the world who come to my workshops. I they can't they can't come to the conference. They just can't. Um, and even people, you know, students who live four hours away usually can't even make it because of finances. So it has been easy for us to kind of transfer to a more virtual setting because of the audience, because of the pandemic, because everyone is used to taking classes online. Um, My team is used to working remotely. We do everything via Zoom. Um, They already sign up virtually. They buy tickets in advance. So thankfully things have been moving pretty smoothly but we I mean I don't really even do anything I think the only thing I really do different is I make sure that my guest speakers know what's up and they're comfortable with doing virtual um if they're okay and I'm asking permission are you okay if we record this and we offer it you know a little bit to people who can't be here after the conference is done um do you need someone to you know, kind of take questions. We can help you with that. We can uh, manage a slideshow if you'd like. So those are the only things. And then just so, you know, making sure that they know that they're going to really have to try to get their audience to engage because it's hard to get them to engage virtually. But yeah, um, 
I mean, it, it's been it's been working, and I, I'm I'm very grateful that we can do so much remotely, and I'm so grateful for Zoom. I am so grateful for Zoom. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And as you're talking, it sounds like your community is expanding beyond just local. So, what does that mean for you in the future? Um, it sounds like maybe you're considering having the virtual component be permanent. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, that's we're there now. I okay. mean, we're strictly remote. That's what we're doing. I I would love to have an in person conference again, and I think we're going to work up to that. But I think that'll probably be the only thing we do because um, it's funny, Carrie. I was I was totally relating to what you were saying about the library events because I mean that's exactly what I had to do to start teaching um, at our local library in Charlotte, I had to have that hook. And one of the things I want to do was connect with more young writers. And so we, you know, I was like, you know, I want to talk about like sparking creativity and how to get to like really um, get, get your brain working in that writerly way for a lot of these teens who just sit there and write about whatever their school tells them. And then 2020 happened and we, you know, eventually they kind of transferred everything to remote. And now we have followings from all over, not just Charlotte, just in that, you know, bi-weekly or bi-monthly classes at the library. So I'm, I'm seeing that expand even just within that little community. So it's, it's crazy. The people that I connect with, I get people who, I mean, there's a 12 hour time difference that when I do <laughs> workshops on Saturday at noon, it's midnight for them. And they just say, really, we're interested. And they wanted to join. I, I'm watching my team, you know, one team member I have, she, she moved from Malaysia to go to college in the UK. And now she's in the UK with another team member and they've talked about meeting up. So just to be able to connect with so many different people and so many different minds is something I'm so grateful for. And it's, it's absolutely beneficial to our community because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community for young writers across the world. And I, I can't believe that I can do that. <laughs> well, I'd love to shift just a little bit and talk about getting your roster of speakers or panelists or workshop leaders how would an author who maybe is interested, not necessarily in your workshop, but from your experience in getting more involved with being at author events and teaching live or being on panels or or even just doing signings, do you have any advice? What does that process look like for you when you're going through applications? You know, just anything that you can offer, I'm sure our listeners would be incredibly grateful. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about the changes that have happened because of the pandemic and everybody sort of being really comfortable with online stuff is that there are a lot more opportunities to teach classes and participate in events that are not happening where you are at. And so it's opened up, I think, a lot of opportunities for authors to, um, you know, not only participate in conferences or panels of that sort, but also, um, you know, local community education courses that you can teach. I've done that a couple of times in my hometown in New Mexico where I'm teaching writing courses from Colorado because I can, because I'm here and I can do it, you know, online. 
And so I think that there are a lot of opportunities to just be present in places that we weren't ever present in before, which can be great because sometimes being, you know, having the only live events as an author that you participate in being like library events or, um, you know, local book signings, things of that nature. You know, we, I'm sure we all have had those moments where we are sitting in a room with just us and the organizer and maybe like one person and, you know, you're trying to kind of get excited about presenting to one person (laughs) and it feels a little bit daunting. Like, how am I going to go from one person to filling the entire auditorium of this place? What does that process look like? And, you know, I think from my perspective, a lot of it is about um, starting slow, starting small, and then just keeping the momentum going and moving in the right directions. And one of the great things about having access to Zoom and some of the other online meeting places is that there is video. You can record little snippets of yourself teaching and speaking and use those as part of your portfolio. And also just other people are able to see you and you're more accessible, essentially. Yeah, I think I think there are two things that a guest speaker, so not the ones that I reach out to and I say, hey, this would be you would you would be phenomenal for our young audience. Please speak with us. But I typically get two kinds of applications. I have people who reach out to me who say, hey, it's usually um, someone who writes YA and they say, hey, I, I really want to try to connect with the, this audience. I would love to be involved. I would love to do a workshop, something. And then the other way is a recommendation from another author. So um, Jackie, you introduced me to Michaela Green. and I, with any author that reaches out to me, I speak with them via email, just say, hey, what are you interested in? You know, what can you provide our audience? And then I meet with them through Zoom because I, I, I'm very serious about who I bring to my young audience. And I'm also very serious about what energy is somebody giving off. And meeting with Michaela, she had this warm amazing energy and I love talking to her and I was like you're great let's do this and I find out we we do the first workshop it's great it wasn't a large audience um she was phenomenal and then she was like you know I was like oh is this your first virtual workshop and she's like oh this was my first workshop and I was like what like that so something that I also love is to be able to create an opportunity for authors who are just now getting into speaking. Um, you know, I have indie authors who reach out to me who are really interested and they have these really unique stories that they want to, or surfaces, um, or they're another organization that supports young writers and they reach out to me just to connect. So I think I don't have a very standard, like, well, you need to submit these things, you know, to be, but I do need there to be this encouraging energy. You got to be passionate about the youth writing community. Um, and you got to have some service um, to, to provide our young writers, you know, something to give them that they're eager to know. So if you receive an application, either one of you or both of you, and you don't choose the person, do you have a, how do you reject them nicely and encouragingly? tackle this, um, at least from our end, 
what I always try to look at is, um, you know, we have a lot of conversations going on on the back end about what we're trying to present at any given time. And we don't ever, in terms of the people who are submitting proposals to us, I, we tend to get a lot of one thing. I think sometimes as a reflection of what's trending or what's going on at, at a particular time in the industry. And so there's no possible way that I can fill an entire conference with that one topic. We have to move and figure out which one we think is going to be the best fit for the audience that we have. And so I always try to reach out to people and tell them, you know, we can't fit you in our program this year, but the topic looks really interesting and we'd love to have you resubmit. I'm not going to lie. Occasionally we do have a few people who come out and I'm like, we're never going to have a place for you. And I try to be honest about that too, because, you know, it's and in kind, but honest, because I also don't want somebody, you know, sort of spinning their wheels a lot on an opportunity that really just isn't realistically something that's going to happen for them. So. Yeah. I think for me, really the only two things I can think are um, if somebody just doesn't give an encouraging energy or I don't want to bring them, you know, introduce them to my audience or if they, they do, they write or they have a topic that isn't suited for the audience. So like if somebody's like, Hey, I write erotica. I'm like, I don't know if I can introduce you um, to my young writers, unfortunately. So I, um, I think really, you know, because I get a lot of people reach out and they want to speak at the conference. And, and you know, sometimes I, I have those places reserved for other writers that I'm waiting to hear back for or people who have spoken with me um, um, at the conference in the past. So I'm usually open to always meeting first. Just say, hey, you know, let's get a feel um, for if we're a, a, a match for each other, if I can help you and you can help me. Um, and I'm usually open to, because I am there for all of the workshops, I'm usually comfortable saying, okay, let's try a workshop. Let's see how it goes. And that's usually when I determine if they really are a good match, especially if I'm on the fence about it. And, you know, the, the language after that, like if I still am thinking, you know, this just isn't a good match the language becomes things like, you know, Hey, thank you so much. And this is if they request another workshop or they, they want to speak at the conference. I have to say, you know what, we are booked or, you know, unfortunately I just, I don't think that this topic is going to help the audience or, or, I mean, I've never gotten to this point, but I would be open to giving pointers saying, Hey, it just, it wasn't engaging enough or we got feedback and we just, we learned that our audience would prefer these things instead. You know, if you, if you want to change those things and alter those things and great, let's talk about maybe another workshop. Otherwise maybe it's just not a good fit. You know, again, I, I just, I think it would be hypocritical if I wasn't, if, if we were an organization that was about learning, I think speakers can learn from us as well. Um, and I want to be that place for them to learn, but also I do have to protect my young audience. You know, I, I just, I can't have anyone speaking to them. So yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> delicately, kindly, but honestly, just like Amy said, that's, that's the best way to, to uh, approach this problem. Well, I imagine a lot of it, like Desiree, it sounds like you give, you know, a lot of your time and energy to making sure you're interacting individually with each person. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the size of the event. So eventually you get to a point where you're probably getting, 
you know, maybe a hundred applicants for, and you only have room for three more speakers. So that's going to probably take a different kind of approach. What I'm hearing is that if an author, you know, wants to apply to a live event, that they need to make sure that they're having a unique pitch. They have a clear idea of what they're going to offer the audience. They need to have a clear idea of who that audience is going to be and make a point for themselves about why they're the person that can speak to that audience. Uh, is there anything else that you would add as far as tips for authors who maybe are are ready to apply and ready to to do things like this? Just a level of professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I run a small organization, I I do get people where they reach out to me, and I reach back out and say, "Hey, I'm interested. You know, let's talk sometime." And I don't hear anything back. Or they just give me their name and their website and then that's it. Or they, you know, (laughs) so I think understanding, I mean, God, I couldn't stress this enough that everybody knows everybody. Uh, You you know, even though I'm here at a small organization, you know, you don't know who I know. So representing yourself in a respectful way and being respectful to me and my time, I think. I think that's something to consider because that's really and people who, you know, kind of treat me like I'm this super small person running this small organization. Again, that's not the energy I want to bring at my conference and my workshops. So I, I, thankfully I, I have experience with people who really respect me and what I do and the guest speakers who come and, you know, it, it it's, it's a mutual respect that we give each other. And so, when somebody contacts me and that respect isn't there, that really does say something, I think. So that that's the one thing I do look for, you know, like how are you representing yourself in your emails? Are you being professional? Are you giving me all the information um, that I need? Are you being respectful of my time? Those are the things I'm also looking for. On some level too, just to kind of piggyback off of what Desiree said, um, this is probably true of all things when it comes to this particular industry, but you know, know, know who you're talking to because a person, you know, pitching erotica at a young writers conference should know better. It's not really the right audience for them. And, you know, we, we get those too, where it's like, this isn't really the right audience. And if you had read a little bit about what we're about, that probably would have made sense that that's not really what we do. Um, so it's nice when the people who are approaching you also spend a couple of minutes, you know, just figuring out who you are and as an organization and what your values are and see how they might fit in with that. So it's important to make sure that you're you're taking the time to learn uh, who you're about to to ask to work with. Um, and those few extra minutes are going to make a huge difference in your application. Um, are there types of events that you think would be best for someone to get started doing? I'm sure that obviously accounting for uh, variables when it comes to someone's particular strengths. Um, but do you feel like dipping a toe in the water with a panel of multiple authors is an easier way to go than hosting a workshop? What have you kind of seen? Have you seen any patterns with with those authors that you work with? So it's funny, um, speaking about myself, the way I got started is I attended Killer Nashville, which um, I don't write mystery or horror uh, (laughs) or any kind of crime novels. But, oh, my God, is it a really fun event either way. (laughs) So I remember um, my mother actually 
because I was young at the time. She says, hey, um, I didn't think you'd get in, but I signed you up for a panel and you're going to be on a panel. And I was like, what? I was, I was so upset because I was so nervous. I don't want to speak in front of anyone. Um, but they they needed people. It was a huge, it's a huge conference and they do need people to fill the seats. And I was so surprised that I actually had things to talk about because I, I was I was represented as a poet. I was on this panel as a poet. And I was like, what could I even talk about? And I remember having like specific sections where I was like, oh yeah, this is the best way to write description. <laughs> and so I mean, honestly, just finding those opportunities where they're looking for people, you'll, you'll be surprised. And you'll also be surprised what you can contribute to. Uh, You know, that's something like know your strengths, know what suits you, but also be open to talking about anything. Um, Definitely because everything is remote now, I think it's a, a lot easier to do workshops. Like I said, so we offer our workshops to free uh, for free. So I just let my guest speakers know that if they're going to do a workshop with us, we don't charge, which means we can't pay uh, our speakers for the workshops, but we're definitely open to like, we, we're, we have at least two, three workshops a month. Um, so we're always looking for people to fill those slots. So just reaching out because it's really easy to go on Zoom for an hour um, and and host something. I think, I don't know what specific audience would suit each individual. You know, it makes sense if you write YA, you probably want to talk to a younger audience. Um, but yeah, I would just be, I would be open to anything. <laughs> and I think that, um, I think that it has to do with kind of what you're trying to do. Because if what you want to talk about is primarily your own experiences in the industry or that sort of thing, um, panels sometimes are a really great place to start. I remember being on panels at Killer Nashville. It's actually conferences like that are great because you can volunteer. They need people in the chairs and it does get you started in learning how to not only you know talk about your own opinions or background, but also how to talk and have a conversation with other authors, you know, especially when those authors have done a whole lot more than you have and, you know, figuring out how to be comfortable in that space. Um, I actually did a panel there where I was sitting on the panel with a bunch of retired police officers and detectives and stuff because I used to run a, a SANE program. And so I was the lone voice of SANE in this sea of detectives. And it was actually such an enlightening experience. I do think that that's actually a great way to start, especially with conferences that invite people to sign up for panels. Um, But if, and if you're into teaching a subject, then workshops are certainly the way to go. And I would say, you know, not everybody wants to do that. So knowing what it is that you're wanting to do, if you're wanting to talk more about your own stuff, or if you're wanting to teach an actual element of craft or marketing will give you an idea of where you need to start. Yeah. And I think that knowing exactly what your goal is when you go in, knowing what are your objectives for your audience to learn, where do you expect them to be after you impart whatever it is you're going to impart? I'm always more impressed by people who come in with that rather than I want to talk about investing so that I can sell my investing business. Like it's, or like my doTERRA essential oils. Like 
or my indie novel, you know, like it's, I like to know that the person will add value to my organization. And you probably, I'm thinking from the library angle, but then also from the conference angle, like you probably want someone that's going to make your life a little bit easier, like that is going to kind of be able to come in and provide something for your program without needing just a lot of extra direction. And so I, I assume that, that that is something you look for as well. That's a good point, Jackie. So I have had programs where the person is the, the audience is very turned off by the person. And I'm sure that both of you have had that experience. I one time had a writer who was super weird. Like uh, weird is the only way I can describe him. And he talked for like an hour and a half and just was like, kind of like, you guys might be too young for Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live. But it was very much like he just talked and talked and talked. Well, it was cold that day. It was snow. Like we actually had a snowstorm. So only eight people came to the event and four of them bought his books. So that's half. And he was upset because he didn't sell enough books to be worth his time. So he sent his 80-year-old mother to come in and complain to my boss about how bad the event was. And when I talked to the writers who attended, they were like, he wasn't that good. Like... The people who bought the book clearly were inspired, but the other four that I talked to, they were just kind of like, <laughs> so I think people have to recognize that, you know, not, they're not going to be universally liked <laughs> and just be aware of the way that you're acting when you want to speak. I mean, like you were saying, Desiree, like everyone knows everybody. So if somebody would call me and say, should I have this guy speak at my library? be like no <laughs> do not <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean that and really like when you speak to the audience they'll tell you because they got nothing to lose you know like I do a survey at the end of every um conference and they let me know which ones are their favorites they let me know which ones are not <laughs> so it makes my decisions much easier um sometimes I'm surprised sometimes you know they they pick certain it's it's funny um my stepdad uh he's a singer-songwriter and so he spoke um at the first actually all of them the last this is the first conference he's not speaking um and every time I do that survey I'm like oh there's no like he was just up there rambling, making, and they, like, it, they, it is their favorite. Like, he, like <laughs> they just, he's, he's entertaining and he's funny. And like, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what I was saying about energy. Like, you know, you care if you have that person up there that's just going to give this angry energy and just like drone on, like nobody, nobody wants that. You know, <laughs> like I try to tell my guest speakers, like, be engaging, be funny, or if you're not funny, be kind. And if you're not kind, then find something that makes you <laughs> worth listening to. Like find that thing, you know, about you that really draws that audience in. That's a really good point. 
Um, and I wanted to just kind of piggyback a little bit on what Carrie was saying, too, from an author perspective who has participated in a lot of events like this, just knowing that it's not about how many books you sell. It's not about, um, you know, making a lot of money. It's about, you know, looking at it from the other way that everyone does know each other. So if you go in there and you do a great job and you're a pleasure to work with and you make, you know, the planners lives a little bit easier and provide great programming, then that's also going to get around. Um, it's people are going to talk, you know, if you plan a workshop, it's always good to ask, is it okay if I, you know, does it need to be a unique workshop is in, it's kind of like submitting things. It's okay to offer one workshop at multiple conferences and it's okay to take that experience and, and then use it to, um, you know, go do the next thing. And so I think viewing these as, as networking events and not with any expectation that you're going to walk away with hundreds of dollars or lots of books sold is the way to do it. And then also know that you're not going to see the results right away. So I've done talks where I've sold maybe two books, but then a month later, someone there, you know, called and, and asked me to be part of their book club. And there was like 50 people. And so you're not, you don't know what exactly is going to come of these events. So I can't believe we're almost at an hour, which is just, that went so fast. So I would love to give both of you an opportunity to let folks know about your event. It's, I think that this is going to publish before both of your April events. So if there's still a way for people to get involved virtually, I know it'll be kind of close. Um, then let folks know how they can do that. And then just also as you as writers, uh, let our audience know how to support you, how to keep in touch with you, how to buy your work. And I think that would be lovely. Desiree, do you want to go first since you're unmuted already, it looks like? <laughs> yeah, you know, I unmuted because I had to take a moment to compliment you because you have spoken at my conference and you're one of like my audience's favorite people <laughs> to hear. So um, well, that's nice to hear because you. as you're talking, I'm like, oh no, what did they say? It's <laughs> on my survey. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you're you're one of the one of the favorites, um, you know. And I take that seriously. I I, I only invite back the favorites. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So our conference is going to be as as of now. It's April 9th and 10th. It is virtual. We have discussed offering an additional day, which would be that Friday. So the 8th to the 10th. Um, but for people who are unavailable, we are going to offer um, video recordings, you know, a week after. So even if you purchase tickets, you can't make it to all of them. It's no big deal if you miss a few. We got people in different time zones. Um, tickets are now available and will continue to be available pretty much up until the last minute. <laughs> um, you can find tickets at youngeagerwriters.org, youngeagerwriters. Um, you can also email me any of the emails you send out um, through that website. They go straight to me. Um, and I, I answer them. <laughs> so if you have questions about who's speaking, when is it, what are the opportunities? And then because I have some just awesome guest speakers who are donating their time, we still have scholarships available. So Alan Gratz, um, I just got his email recently and he's like, you know what, let's put a scholarship in my name. And I'm like, you're the best. <laughs> So definitely if you're, you know, you really like, Hey, I just, 
I, I would really love a scholarship. I don't know if I can afford it, even though it's virtual, even though, you know, it's affordable, then apply for a scholarship because we have those available for a reason. Um, in regard to me as a writer, just come to my workshops, please. <laughs> They're all through the organization. Um, I do have work available out there, but most of them are through magazines. Still kind of writing at my leisure, my free time. Yeah. And I just want to, I want to thank you both um, for letting me come on here and just ramble. And Amy, it was great uh, to share this podcast episode with you. Well, it's our pleasure. And I'm happy the two of you connected and I hope you'll stay in touch because uh, it sounds like you have a few things to talk about. And I'm just so it was so fun for me because I've gotten to participate in the Young Eager, Eager Writers conferences and, and workshops. And then I get to participate in Amy's at the end of April. And so it's such a treat. So Amy, let everyone know how to find you, how to uh, support the conference and how to support you as a writer. Um, well, the conference, we have registration open. Our conference takes place April 28th through the 30th. Um, both in person and online. We have master classes and sessions and an online exhibitor fair and agent and author and editor consults that people can do one-on-one. -on -one. So lots of opportunities to talk to industry professionals. Um, In-person registration will probably close mid-April, but virtual will stay open until probably the day before the conference. Um, so at our website, northerncoloradowriters.com, um, in the conference section, you can find all the details about that. Uh, we have a conference app that allows a lot of online networking and we do some gaming and we do all kinds of fun things to kind of help keep everybody engaged and to help our exhibitors connect. Um, actually, just FYI, one of our exhibitors is going to be offering two full audio narration packages as a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some pretty amazing stuff that's happening at this conference. And, you know, we want to have everybody. I remember last year we actually had somebody who registered from New Zealand and it was amazing. And I was like, how did you find us? <laughs> like, I don't get it. But, um, but it was amazing. It's amazing how the technology allows us to really reach out and have people participate in ways that they couldn't before. So um, in terms of me as an author, I am, you know, busily trying to juggle 50 million things. So my new book that was maybe supposed to come out in April will probably be out in September instead because <laughs> that's the way it goes. <laughs> but um, you can find more information about me at my website, which is amyrivers.com. And I answer emails. I'm on social media. Um, my children tell me it's really cringe, but my new favorite obsession is trying to be on TikTok. So that's super fun and weird. And yeah, I, I actually... Hope to see lots of you guys there. Thank you guys so much for having me. And Desiree, I'm going to be busily typing you an email right after we get off. Awesome. Thank you both again. This was such a pleasure. That hour just went so fast. And I think that's just always a, a mark of a good conversation that, you know, everyone listening is going to enjoy and feel the energy up. So thank you. Yeah, thank um, you both. It's so nice to meet you guys. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.